0: It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear, plus my friends in the third row, and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com.
2: Welcome into A Thacking turd brought to you by the Marriott Bomb Boy Boundless Card. Reward your passion and earn points when you stay close to the action. I'm your host, Jenny Chu, here with Lisa Carlin, Sandra Herrera, and Darian Jenkins. Ladies, it is a Monday. Sandra, I'm coming to you. How's your Monday going? Fabulous. It's
3: going
4: fantastic. Monday means it's a new day, it's a new week, new beginning, but uh, the news never stops. In women's soccer, so we're here to chat about it.
0: Yeah, I love this. And happy December Um, officially. Darian, I haven't seen you since Thanksgiving too, so happy Thanksgiving. But crazy that it's December. I miss your beautiful faces. I know. That
3: just kind of gave me anxiety. I've done zero Christmas shopping. You've got time. Plenty of time. I've done a little, but I could definitely do more.
2: That's what online shopping is for. True. True, true. Every week was when you should have gotten some of those deals, but you were busy out Enjoying the sun in Puerto Rico. Can't believe. I was I'm eating, eating some
3: mofongo here. in Puerto Rico. Ooh. I wish I was fluent in Spanish. I picked up bon, buen parvetro. That's about it. Perfecto, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's pretty much all you need if you're getting some food there. Um, right. So much has happened in the world of women's football since we last saw each other. So let's get straight into the news and then we'll talk about all the Nations League games as well. Caroline Seger announced her retirement from the Swedish national team following Sweden's elimination from Olympic qualifying to their surprise defeat to Switzerland in Nations League last week. Seger, who had collected 240 caps for the national team, the most by any team in history, is a two-time Olympic silver medalist and twice finished in third place at the Women's World Cup. Sarah Loudon announced that she will be leaving the Houston Dash organization after two stints as interim head coach, including four games at the end of this past season. Loudon announced in a post on social media that, though a difficult decision, she's ready to pursue new op- opportunities. The Houston Dash is just one of several NWSL teams with coaching vacancies, including the Chicago Red Stars and the Washington Spirit. The North Carolina Courage announced that forward Tess Bowdy has signed a two-year extension with the club. The 24-year-old's contract will now take her through the end of 2025 season Baudi has earned 25 caps in all competitions with four goals and four assists in her two years with The Courage. UEFA has released dates for the 2025 Women's Euro. The competition will take place in Switzerland from July 2nd through the 27th, with the final being held in the country's largest stadium, St. Jacob Park in Basel, with a capacity of almost 40,000. The tournament's previous edition was held in England and broke attendance records, with the final being played in Wembley, where 87,192 fans were in attendance and UEFA announced changes to the current Women's Champions League format starting in 2025-2026. The biggest change in the tournament's shift is the current group stage format of 16 teams is now going into a single league format of 18 teams. The defecto, This defecto eliminates the group stage. UEFA also announced that they will introduce a second European Women's Club competition, though no further details were provided. Okay, I ran through a lot there. Uh, Lisa, do you want to get a start us on what stuck out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, I I love the news about
0: Tess Bodie with the North Carolina Courage and this two-year extension, a great move by the club in North Carolina and Sean Nahas and and a great move for Bodie herself because she solidified herself in this attacking lineup for North Carolina this year. And they had a really successful year, ultimately. Um, I I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, because when Sean Nahas came in, he had some growing pains with the team at the start of the year in order to get a system down. He wanted to be really um attack or excuse me, possession oriented. And for a striker and a number nine like Tess Bodhi, she had to adjust to that a little bit. And, and instead of just constantly stretching and look to get in behind, check back in front of the defensive lines, go between lines and look to get the ball at her feet. And she grew into that role and executed it incredibly, incredibly well. And she became very dangerous in her play. She also grew a really good partnership with Caroline um, in, in, in behind her and around her. So I like this for Tess Bodie and for North Carolina Courage. The consistency from one year to the next is going to be crucial for this club to continue to succeed.
2: Sandra, what stood out for you there?
4: Probably like all of the bits of, of info coming out of Europe. I mean, the retirement for Carolyn Sager, I think that's massive. I think if you take a look at what's happened, what well, we celebrated stateside with the departures of, of Megan Rapinoe, Juliet if you look on the European side of things and see a name like that, someone who has been such a staple, a marquee player for that program for years and years and years, it's going to be strange. You're not seeing her on those parts anymore, but, uh, you know, hard to, hard to believe that with, You know, I know we're going to talk about this later, but with Sweden's eventual elimination from the Olympics to to sort of just say, okay, don't have another one in me. Thank you for everything. I'm out. I respect that so much. Um, But honestly, even even with the the announcements of the facilities to play for the upcoming tournaments of the Euros, um, kind of a little bit of a downer to know that they're going towards a smaller capacity versus bigger capacities in, in the past I think we saw a lot of excitement in the previous Euro matches and to sort of know that there's going to be less opportunity for less eyeballs on on that type of a game I think says a lot and not maybe a lot of good things um we need to figure out why we're not having these types of massive games in massive facilities so that's a bummer to hear
2: Sandra, you talk about that bummer. I think that's something that we should harp on a little bit because we mentioned that 87,192 fans that were in Wembley for the Euros last time. Now this is about cut in half um, for the women's game in Switzerland. This has happened over and over again, though. Although we are seeing the growth of the game, Darian, we are seeing that in the World Cup as well, they had to force movement into bigger stadiums. Do you think that that's something that is a possibility here?
3: I think it has to be. It's a shame that we even have to have this conversation about it once again. Because how many times have they had the opportunity to just do better and be, give these players the space that we know that they can totally sell out? So I think it's only a matter of time that it's going to happen. Um, this is a huge tournament, so you know that many people are going to show up and show out. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of tired that we have to have keep harping on it. But I think it's inevitable that they will have to find bigger spaces to support the fan capacity that will show up for support of these teams and these players.
2: Lisa, one more thing here. I just want to talk about Sarah Loudon. I know that that's another NWSL coaching vacancy. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a, a first assistant vacancy. This is a coach that was an assistant at Houston over the last several years and had to be slotted into that interim head coach role. Who knows, maybe she was like, hey, I don't want the responsibility of possibly being a head coach randomly in the middle of a season anymore because the, the responsibilities from first assistant to head coach are, are drastic. Um, and she's been with the club for a while. She saw success at Houston um, two years ago, taking them to their first ever playoffs, but a new chapter for her. She's an incredibly uh, good coach and she's got her coaching license. Um, who knows? Maybe she's off to explore some bigger and better things, but it opens up the door and opportunities for other coaches to come in there, um, pre- possibly former players. You, you know, you like to see that. I don't know, Lisa. Really you trying to
3: you trying to tell me to go coach at Houston, Lisa? What do you mean
0: <laughs> <No, doing? laughs> I never want to lose you uh, from this side of it, but I think it does. Right there are Darian. There are opportunities for players to get their coaching licenses, and you don't really make that jump from player to head coach. So to go into a club and and be a first assistant or even an assistant in general and be able to learn from a head coach and just kind of get your feet wet in the coaching world is a great stepping stone to then be a head coach. Um, Um, But, I mean, all the best to Sarah Loudon as she moves forward in her career. I'm sure we'll see her again, though.
2: Beautiful, Lisa. Thank you. We're going to be chatting the Women's Nations League results quickly after a break. So stay with us here.
5: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Welcome into Attacking Third. These are some key matchups and results from the Women's Nations League from Match Day 5. Switzerland beats Sweden 1-0. Belgium and Scotland share points. France beats Austria. Italy upsets World Cup winners Spain. And England beats Netherlands 3-2. Ladies, so much to talk about in these results here because there were plenty of upsets and plenty of action. Why don't we go ahead and start with England against the Netherlands? Lisa, you have the biggest smile on your face. I know you want to go first. Hit me. Jenny,
0: It's you mentioned the action. Like, these games were chaos, chaos ensuing. Watching um, England-Netherlands was pretty exciting um, considering England goes down 2-0 in the first half. Uh, Berenstain getting a brace in the opening 12 minutes and then 35th minute again to continue to go. It it was really good plays, honestly, by the Dutch side. And and when you look at that first goal for the Netherlands, um, Berenstain, she got in behind. She had really good positioning and it, it, the lioness's back line was pulled out of shape. It was Lucy Bronze, Jess Carter. They, they had miscommunications, and Berenstein got in behind in the opening 12 minutes. Um, heading into the halftime, it was it was all the Dutch, and and they were leading at that point. So you just wanted them to continue going and, and you were kind of Questioning Serena Vigman and this English side, what they were going to do, how they were going to respond in the second half. And before you know it, England gets back-to-back goals just around the hour mark. Georgia Stanway, Lauren Hemp, um, Lauren Hemp equalizes. And by the 61st minute, it's 2-2 and everything's level. And England had this incredibly determined and uh, just – focused look on their face that they were just going to continue to roll. Um, it took until the end of stoppage time, a, a substitute from Ella Toon, who's just been a game changer coming off the bench for England, um, and she gets the game winner at the end of the game. England, now in terms of Nations League, the Lionesses needed to win by two for this game. However, they did get the win and they stay alive in Nations League. It was back-to-back, end-to-end action. I was on the edge of my seat watching this one.
4: Yeah, same, honestly. I. I mean, complete tailor do halves in this one. I thought Lynette Berenstein looked lethal, just looks like an absolute killer out there in the match. And then you see these adjustments coming in into the second half for Serena Wigman. I mean, I, would have loved to have been a, a fly on the wall in that oh, locker yeah. <laughs> room for England because it just it was it was tough. It just felt like and looked like Lauren Hemp was out there at an island at times, just working very very hard for mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, payoff in the end of that of that first half. So to kind of see those adjustments trying to. You know, obviously, trying to get her a, a bit of support in there. I think you started to see the wheels turn a little bit more, a little bit better, maybe so to speak, in, the, in that midfielder because Lucy Bronze, although she was getting high, looked like she had had some struggles in in, in that first half, kind of missing some of the, of her assignments there, but. I mean, a complete, complete uh, clinic in terms of the 45 minute clinic by by England. I mean, talk about like, maybe maybe working smarter, not harder. They're like, all right, that was a tough 45 minutes. Let's just make sure that we do better. And then in the next 45, incredible scene. It's, it's, it's already, I think, going to go down as one of those like top memorable matches of of a Nations League event for for England.
3: No, I completely agree. Even I was having my roommate watch with me, who's not even a soccer fan, and he was jumping up and shouting at the TV too, like, what the heck? But what a game. And I have to give, you guys know, fangirling over Lauren James as I do every (laughs) single podcast I'm on the show. Um, But I think she's such a game changer. She's so lethal. And when she's on, when they decide to put her on the ball, even with teams doubling down on her, she is so effective, and so I think them going into halftime, you're right, Sandra, I would have loved to hear what um, Coach Serena Wegman was saying to them. But I think it was, let's get on the ball. Let's be dangerous. Let's be committed to getting in the box and getting on the end of these balls that we're putting in here. Because it's kind of uninspiring in the first half. And they looked like no one was on the same page or able to, I don't know, even get close enough to get a body on the on, uh, The Dutch side. And so I think there was something that gave them the kick in the butt that they needed that Serena Wegman said, and they came and showed out. But imagine if they had started the game with that same sort of tenacity, it would have been completely different. But I'm all here for the drama. I love a a five goal game. (laughs) There's a lot of high scoring games this weekend. So I was here for it.
0: Darian, I think that getting on the end of things in the second half was a difference maker. When you look Mm -hmm. at the chances that England created and took in the first 45 minutes, a lot of them were individualized and it wasn't a cohesive attacking unit. Um, Even like shots from Lauren James that frankly just weren't on target and they were well over the crossbar she was almost forcing to create things in the second half she, james ends up getting two assists on two of the goals that come because instead of just looking to go to goal herself she she looked at the different options she had and it was it just looked so much more connected for england in the second half and and perhaps that's what Vigman said to them, "Like, look to find that one extra pass. And that's exactly what happened on the second goal as well. It was a little one, two, three combination right at the top of the 18-yard box and then a strike to finish things for England. It was the extra pass and the extra effort from them that ultimately got the job done.
4: It also, I think just kind of shocks the opposition a little bit. It's also the sequence in, in which these goals come. It's like, yes, they they get a goal back before, just before the hour mark, but then like literally what well, feels like seconds later, they get an equalizer. It's like game on at that moment. It literally just takes like a two-minute sequence for the Lioness to kind of like take this game by the scruff of the neck and say like, no, this, this is going to be ours. And I th- yeah, excellent shout to Lauren James because I think she's probably the best example of a player that needed that halftime, went into the locker room and said, that wasn't great. I'm going to be better and absolutely took over the game.
2: Yeah, Lauren James, definitely someone who wants to take the team on her back and be different. Uh, when we talk about Serena Wegmans' side, let's talk about the scenarios that can get England into the Olympics because there are you know, some, some scenarios here that are a little bit more complicated. So if the Netherlands win, England will need to score three more goals than the Netherlands. If the Netherlands draw, then England will need a win, but will not need to make up goal differential. And if the Netherlands lose, then England will still need to win because... All right, Sandra, I see, the, I see the wheels turning there. Do you know what the ultimate chaotic scenario would be?
4: No, of course not. I'm like over here like nodding my head because I'm listening to you like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, look, I, I think they were changing, I think, by the minute at that point. When we're talking about this game specifically, as they equalized, and then even as they pulled ahead um, in the later stages of the game, like it, there was definitely the moments of, like, okay, so what does this actually? all mean and then to have gotten that game-winning goal at at the death essentially in in stoppage time you could sort of see in the body language of some of these players it's like yes it's a win but you're dejected just a little bit in that you don't exactly have control over your destiny for your advancement scenarios it's like you can only control what's in front of you and Yes, they're going to want to go out there and, and, and get a win against Scotland, but there's still some goal differential at play here on the Netherlands side. So what's that going to look like on the final match day as Netherlands and Belgium go head to head is Scotland and England go head to head?
0: Exactly. I mean, so England, Netherlands, and Belgium. Jenny, yep. can't they all potentially get through? That's
2: it. Lisa, you you answered the question. You hit the nail on the head. It's worth mentioning that Belgium can qualify by winning. Warm. If Netherlands lose and England drop points, neither of them get in and Belgium gets in instead. This is like a little caveat that we were talking about once we got <laughs> off. Um, Adriana, Courtney, and I, I was like, wait, what? Oh, my God, we have to do this. <laughs> um, but you mentioned it there, Sandra, um, the fact that England – next match is up against scotland a bit of a conflict of interest would you not say lisa Yeah, I mean, it it is. When you look at the Olympics
0: and how the nations work in the Olympics, one of the teams is Great Britain. That includes England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So Serena Wegman will lead that team as head coach, but she has the option to choose players from both the English national team, uh, of course, the Scottish national team, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So the fact that England and Scotland are now playing against each other, there are some rumors happening out there on the interweb, which don't ever listen to them, people because the, the rumor is that Scotland could potentially drop this game. Um, they could lose by a, a great margin of goals to England. That way, England would win more points and the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Netherlands in their group, and then England would go through. And those Scottish players would have the opportunity to still make the Olympic roster for Great Britain. Now, I mean that I don't think that's going to happen personally. These are professionals playing um Scotland still has a lot to play for for pride. They're playing for their nation and it, you can't guarantee that England's going to go through anyway. Um so to me it's just ridiculous scenario that this would happen. However, people are out there making these crazy scenarios Jenny and so hey who the heck knows.
4: <laughs> I don't I don't think we're going to see come no. so out there, hanging their heads. I'm, I'm with you, Lisa, on that. I mean, look, it's a competition. There's still, there's still a technically a, a title and a trophy to be won within this in, in nation league, and you know they're all competitors at the end of the day. And you know, I think that this is more like maybe a bigger question for UEFA in how they can figure out how to better organize these teams for the draw when they make their group selections. Uh, maybe they need to go back to school and learn about geo political (laughs) landscapes of things and the british empire i don't know go take a history course but look that maybe is where we need to direct the the questions towards that does it set up um are are there like these wild scenarios for for advancement out of group a yeah of course but now there's this weird sort of sub scenario between all of that where none of us here at attacking third the united states women's soccer show are experts on but it is very curious to to just sort of look at that and say, hmm. Who just simply allowed that to happen?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%, Sandra. I I love the the joke there because I actually um, laughed out loud there because, yes, (laughs) like it it would make sense for anyone else to be like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, But (laughs) Scotland players were asked about that today and they said they would absolutely never, which obviously is what we would assume would happen. Why would you? 100%. There you go. Um, Let's move on because some big, big news. Sweden is missing out on the Olympics for the first time ever in Swedish Olympic women's soccer history. Um, Let's go ahead and touch on the game that knocked them out. Switzerland against Sweden. Wow. This one was in the snow. There was so many chances for Sweden. And Switzerland somehow gets through here. I mean, just an incredible show of... Being able to defend, I guess, and like Sweden missing so many of their opportunities, really. Um, a lot of them went over. A lot of them were just off mark, um, not being able to finish so many chances. And then Switzerland gets the dub here, Lisa.
0: Yeah, they do. It was an early, early goal um, in this one in the opening five or six minutes or so. And truly heartbreaking at the end for Sweden, the fact that this loss now takes them out of potential to go to the Olympics. And when you look at the success of Sweden… they've never won an Olympic title or a World Cup title, but they've had a lot of success getting there and getting to the final stages of these giant world tournaments because Sweden is the only nation to finish in the top three of the last four global tournaments. That's both World Cups in 2019 and 2023 and the Olympics in 16 and 2021. So they have a history of success and this is so heartbreaking for them, honestly. However, this is how the name of the game works. A lot Allows other nations to get in there, but only 10 teams being at the Olympics, like that's the heartbreaker for me, frankly.
3: No, it's a totally a heartbreaker, but I also love that it's a testament to the growth of the women's game. Like Switzerland is going, but that's not something we've said in the past or like really put on our cards as to be a big team going. Um, it is a bummer though, thinking about what a matchup Sweden has always been for the US and that sort of game that we're looking for where it's I know there's such a rich history between these two teams and Sweden being such a big dog in this space. But again, I love that the women's game is growing and that we're seeing teams like Switzerland that are knocking out these heavy hitters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope it keeps on going. Who, who knows what else is going to happen in the coming years?
4: It's going to be an exciting finish in this tournament. It's going to be exciting to see how like a result like that can kind of maybe shake the landscape. A little bit, like you're like you're alluding to a little bit, Darian, but it's just it's just wild. Like I think there's a reason why I've heard multiple players say, "Hey, the Olympics sometimes are actually the harder tournament of the two major international trophies to win in a cycle, just because of the difficulties in advancement scenarios to get to that point, and then the fact that there are just so few teams who are able to participate uh, at that level."
2: Yeah, that's a great point that there are so few teams that get to participate, Sandra. But I just have to say this: no, really really like caught me off guard, the fact that it was so cold there. And even when the game ended, Switzerland like stayed on the field to celebrate. I was like, I would be getting my butt into the warmth ASAP, but they're so used to it. It's totally fine for them. Um, We have so much more Nations League analysis to come. So stay with us on Attacking Third.
5: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles,
2: Welcome back in to Attacking Third. This is the one I've been waiting for all episode long. Spain, the current world champs losing to Italy. So who else should we bring in for this segment than the queen of Italy herself, Christine Cupo? Welcome in. Fratelli d'Italia.
6: Petition <laughs> to change that to sorelle because obviously the ladies are currently doing it better than the men. Uh, happy to be here, ladies. How are you? We are
2: good. We're happy, good we're happy-, happy to be Christine, um, I, got, I got to talk about this real quick, though, because people did not expect this. Obviously, Spain just absolutely has been so dominant. Is this a real thing? Should we be afraid of the Italians? You have been talking about the Serie A for so long. Is this it? This is the moment for Italian women's football.
6: If I tell you that I thought they were going to beat the current reigning world champions, I would be absolutely lying through my teeth. Okay, uh, This 17 world-ranked Uh, Italy team uh, have done the unthinkable, quite frankly. And it's great to see. Uh, They've had the talent, they just haven't necessarily gotten it together. It's been very, very spotty. Uh, There's been obviously managers that were in tenure for a really long time, um, since 2017. So Bertolini just finally made her exit uh, post-World Cup bounce, which was obviously under a number of negative circumstances. So... Uh, no, I, I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm glad that it did. I'm hoping it's not a blip, but they haven't really been tried yet, have they?
0: No, I mean, Christine, that's the question. They haven't been tried and now they are. But with this new coaching hire that we just hired in September, how much of that is the influence of the new coach and how much of this is really the players and the
6: talent's been there all along? So... I'm going to be totally honest with you. The appointment of sonchin for me is a big fat question mark. I don't really understand how that even transpired. Both he and Xiavi both got their UEFA A licenses uh, in 2021. They are fresh, literally fresh, fresh managers for this side. Uh, they have, haven't have really been tested. Xiavi uh, has had a really, really successful playing career. She's been around uh, the Italy camp since 2017. But she only recently in 2022 season this year took over the kids, the U16s. So this is a very, very fast progression. There's, um, let's say some chatter around what her progression will be in this role, because they're saying she's being groomed to eventually take this head coaching role. But Sonchin really made his bones and set a B. He came up with Atalanta, and this is quite some time ago. He does have zero caps for Italy. He never played for the national team. Um, Has really no coaching experience outside of Venezia, and he was an interim manager that managed fewer than a handful, I'd say, of matches, coming up with one win. So I'm a little bit worried. All right, fair. I got got a a
4: two-parter for you, okay? First of all, for folks who are watching and folks who aren't, where are you coming at to us right now? Where are you at right now? Number one, where are you live broadcasting from? And number two, I I know, I know you said that maybe you didn't, you know, you wouldn't have been the one to say like, yes, this team is going to go out there and pull off this incredible win against Spain. But even with that factual thing in your mind, how good does it feel, though, to see this team get this win? And kind of taking a look at the bigger landscape in nation leagues and maybe what it means in other groups, seeing Sweden get eliminated. Tell me about that a little bit, too. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm at a press right
6: now. I'm like, first part of the question, Uh, this is my formal submission for my uh, Guillaume Ballet travel series. I am in a uh, secret location. Uh, so that I can freely speak about the Italy side without All anybody it. finding out my location. Um, the second part, I am absolutely hyped because there's so many players that I truly love on this Italy side that I really, really think they're playing with more bounce in their step. But I think that's just, you know, that sort of new manager bump, not in the sense that, you know, Son will be like the best person for them, but in that they get a clean slate. Uh, You saw it in some of those like cheeky little heel flick passes against this Spain side, which, quite frankly, that is audacious. Like you are playing the world champions and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hit you with some sauce. It's fine. Um, The link up play with with players like Caruso, who's very much foundational to both uh, Le Azzurre and Juve. with Giacinti, who's been crushing it for Roma this season. It's just, it's really nice to see. They seem a lot happier Um, and hopefully that continues. But so far, you know, outside of Spain, like proving whether it is or isn't a blip, I mean, you have, they've only played Switzerland and typically they do win those games. And that was the first match that they played under the new management and that's who they play next. So my expectation is they're gonna win again but they need to get their teeth into something substantial.
3: Now, Christine, I thought that Italy's press was fantastic in this match. And I also thought that Spain overplayed their hand, especially in the box, nearly in the six, and it cost them two goals, but Italy capitalized on it. Now, is this, I know part of the credit is to Italy's press and how tactically they were set up and they probably, you know, scoped this out and knew that Spain was going to play like this as we all do. But what does this say about Spain? Are they kind of overplaying their hand in this
6: hyper possession style that they play? I think they came in a little bit hot, to be honest. Dee. Uh, I think they underestimated Italy, but also perhaps they really assessed them properly. Uh, a lot of these Italian players also, because the majority of them do play in Serie A, less one or two that are in the starting 11, they play, um, permanently attacking as I'll well. say so never not attacking. And when they're not attacking, they're disrupting. And so if you discount that they know how to do that and do it well, if you go back to that thinking that like Italian players across the board, just really good at defensive play, you will essentially get dealt the hand that Spain got dealt in this match. So, you know, unfortunately you're unable to constantly play with the elements of surprise as like the underdog, because eventually you're going to get found out. But yes, yeah, Spain didn't have a particularly great match quite frankly Mm -hmm. um defensively poor in a lot of situations where i think they just Mm -hmm. thought hey like they're not gonna run a train on us like there's no way they're gonna roll over us
2: and they did okay so just real quick you said that you had some questions about the coach andrea sonchin right he got um appointed september 8th and since then the results have been positive i understand that he wasn't the first second third fourth choice for coaching he hadn't coached women's calcio football um and so th- there were some questions around his hiring, like you mentioned at the top there, Christine. But if I'm looking at how they perform since he took over, I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, they beat Switzerland, who just beat Sweden, we saw. Um, they lose to Sweden 1-0, but Sweden is Sweden. Um, they lose to Spain 1-0. It's Spain. Now Now we have these, these recent results, Italy finally beating Spain 3-2. But I think the biggest thing is they became a professional league Last year, that's something that we've talked about, Christine. They became a professional league last year, and they are hanging on with these teams. Would you agree, Sandra?
4: Well, I'll agree if we if we lost Cupo. So yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll agree. We were literally—it's funny that you bring that up because we were literally just talking about this, a similar thread of this in our previous episode where we were talking about Mexico and the fact that they had a domestic club to be able to you know, develop and continue playing uh, in the league and see that kind of translate to success at the national team level. So I'm in agreement with you when it comes to to Italy and Italy women's soccer. I think you could sort of connect those dots there and see the results tied to development through club
2: play. I love it. Sorry I put you on the spot there because we lost Christine there, but thank you so much for joining us, Christine Kupo. We're going to be back in just a moment here on Attacking Third, brought to you by the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Reward your passion and earn points when you stay. It's to the action.
5: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome back. The U.S. Women's National Team took on China this past weekend, and there were a few debuts. And on the U.S. Women's National Team, I know that you guys want to talk about them. Darian Jenkins, who stood out to you in this match? Full name, Jenny. Oh my
3: gosh. Um, well, our girl Trinity, not just because she has the dopest celebrations when she scores or gets some sick assists, but I think she is such a weapon. She's such a weapon. Not only did she get the assists on Sophia and um get a goal herself, but I just think she's so effective. I think we've seen her grow each and every game she plays with this US women's national team where. Before, I think it was 1v1 constantly over and over again. And now we're seeing her combine and she's manipulating her defender with her movement before she gets the ball. Um, Naomi Gurma set up the pass that went over the back line, which she ultimately assisted Sophia Smith. But none of that happens without her movement and her work beforehand, where she's able to pull the defender in, get her flat-footed, and then use her speed and her athletic ability to get over the top and towards the end line. And then we've been really critical of her crosses as well. And I think she's been so much better. And I don't know if it's her being on the left side of the pitch, which I really like her able to cut in with her right, but her left footed crosses have been so good in this last match. I was really impressed. Um, So for me, she's the player of the match, first player to watch. Um, And another one too, Mitch Purse came in and showed out. Her 1v1s in the final for the NWL Championship were insane. And then her 1v1s, obviously, she's been feeling herself and working on it even more. She came in and just bodied everybody and got an assist. Like, she's killing it. So those two are players for me that really stuck out and happy to see them back in the squad and just this national team finally grooving in the way that we've been really wanting them to.
0: Darian, I don't know if the stat sheets have reflected this, for but from my naked eye, I saw that Trini Rodman had two assists in this match, plus the goal, because she has the throw in that goes to Lindsay Horan for like the weird bounce goal that happened. So in my oh. book, Trin had a goal and two assists. Now, I don't know if that's how Opta took it down. It is. Shout out to our producer, Courtney, because it is how Opta took it down two assists, but it didn't look like it, right? Because it did come off of a throw in for Lindsay Horan. I agree, though. Rodman had an incredible game. I I, I think it's her being on the left. That's where she's comfortable because then she can cut it back. But it's also the combination of Sophia Smith playing in that number nine and frankly, it not being Alex Morgan in there because Mm -hmm. Sophia Smith does a much better job playing centrally as that nine versus out wide on the wing, which is where we've typically seen her when Alex Morgan is playing. And with Soph in that nine, she just has this fluidity of her movement and a little bit of an understanding of how Trin wants to play as well, whether it's tucking in or spreading out a bit wider. They play really well together in that front line. And that's why I think we were able to see them both succeed in this game. Now, Saying Sophia Smith succeeded might be a two-handed uh, comment right there for me because, yes, Sophia Smith did get the opening goal. However, she should have had three by uh, mm-hmm. the in the first half. So she did fail to convert on a couple of chances that she had, but she was getting in those positions and, and creating the opportunities. And for me, that's what we hadn't seen from the U.S. in so long. And I like this new shape and this new form, this new energy that the U.S. was providing and brought out in this first match against China.
4: Yeah, I'm with you 100%, Lisa. I know that you and I, Jenny, we chatted a little bit after the post game of, of this match and we were talking about players that kind of stood out to us. And, and for me, it really is the players that we're talking about right now, those, those namesakes, those players that have sort of been within the pool. It's wild to think about the game that Trinity Rodman had and think about her as sort of the, the next generation of player for me, she's the now like players, like Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman are your present. They are actually not the next gen. They are the now. And we've seen Trinity Rodman's profile kind of elevate literally over 2023. It's, People, I think, forget that she just made her national senior national team debut in 2022. And then with a lot of things changing sometimes with an injury to Mouse Swanson in the middle of a World Cup year, she's been relied upon a lot for the senior national team. So to watch her kind of have this this match to kind of close out this calendar year, I think it's massive for her. I think it's absolutely a a signal of that new era that we keep talking about. This isn't a player that I think is going to be looked to to sort of just kind of, you know, yes, continue her development and all those other things, but in the sense that she is, because she is the president for this uh, women's national team. So it was great to hear Sophia Smith as well at halftime kind of stay locked in and say, I should have had more. I need to capitalize on my opportunities. She was well aware of how many chances that she was being given, whether it was was from Rodman out wide or or Casey Kruger getting higher up into the pitch. She had a lot of balls coming her way. So it was great to see that um, different personnel kind of swap in in the second half and kind of take things over and get the job done.
0: Uh, Fun fact about Trinity Rodman, because she leads the team with her goal involvements on the year, with 10 goal involvements. That's five goals, five assists just in 2023. So you're exactly right, Sandra. She is the now. She is the moment
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. She is the moment. She is now a big fan of her. But I think that some of the names that we talked about post-game, Lisa and Sandra, um, Naomi Gurma for me stood out. Obviously, she's one of those mainstays in that back line. But the ability to play balls in into dangerous areas was really nice to see from her. And I know that she's now paired with Abby Camper in this match. And I really liked it, you know, for Abby Camper to be making her return to the national team after dealing with so many injuries and, and coming back. I love that in the back line, um, Midge Purse, like Darian said there, she came in as a substitute, immediately made an impact, is, an, is a catalyst for the goal at the very end. Um, I don't know. What am I missing here? The fact that there were so many opportunities for the U.S. Women's National Team and they were unable to finish a lot of the opportunities that they created, although more positive than we had seen them as of late. Would you agree, Lisa?
0: Yeah, I would. I think your shout out to Naomi Gurma is on par. She plays center back with Doll Camper um, for San Diego Wave. And traditionally, I think of Doll Camper as the center back that plays those long balls all on a dime. And we did see her play those throughout the match. But the fact that it's Gurma's that ends up being the hockey assist to the opening goal for Sophia Smith down the left flank into Rodman, who cuts inside, um, it shows a versatility to Gurma's game and honestly growth in a player that had already won multiple Accolades just being two years as a pro, so uh, I mean, sky's the limit for Germa. Something I also loved seeing,
3: we saw formation change. Finally, finally, a yes. formation change. Praise be. Oh my word, I love that Kruger and Purse. This like modified right back slash winger five up top. So D- is tucking it, in.
0: Was, there what, like what a was it like was it four in the midfield? It almost looked like a four. Th- it was kind er, of a box, three, four, right? Three. Yeah. it looked like a box in the midfield at yeah. times. When you're exactly right, one of the box would also push into the front line. It was definitely yeah. three in the box, or er, three in the back. It was it was great. Oh, Loved I love it. it it's like it's like they've listened to attacking third since <laughs> the inception of it
3: becoming a show. Emma, come on the show, we bro. We talked about this. Come right? on the show, <laughs> ladies. Pat yourselves on the back. We we put it out in the universe. It came I to do me. have to
2: say people are listening to Attacking Third. Shout out to everybody that listens because we've all ran into people in the real world that have told us that they love Attacking Third. So maybe um these coaches, these players are listening to it as well. I don't know. I hope we get some DMs about yes, we do listen. That that would be great. <laughs> all right, let's wrap up our conversation on this because we do have to talk about the road to the W qualifiers. So stay with us. Let's get to that. When we come back.
4: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
3: of America and a member FDIC.
2: Welcome back to Attacking Third. There were some notable results in the qualifier. Costa Rica against Haiti. Costa Rica taking three points there. Guatemala tied to Jamaica. We're going to talk about that one. Puerto Rico losing to Mexico 3-0. I want to talk about that one, of course. Sandra Herrera, I'm going to you first because this 3-0 Mexico win looked pretty good.
4: Looked good. Felt good. I know I was loud about it. I know you and I were texting through it. I was a little nervous, so I ain't going to lie. I'm always lying when there's some high stakes on the line. But uh, I took a look at that pitch in Puerto Rico, and I felt for both teams because it looked real choppy, and real kind of janky, let's be real. Uh, And I was really curious about how that might have affected both of the teams in such a kind of high-stakes game. And we saw it a little bit, the trajectory of the ball at times, kind of going through it a little bit, um, maybe falling a little bit short. And so it wasn't too shocking or surprising to see a team make an adjustment to that right away. Shout out, got to shout out, uh, Rebecca Bernal, because she started utilizing her distribution skills, which are pretty, pretty good, if I say so myself. And she started kind of lobbing some some balls over over the top there. And it didn't really kind of pan out until it, it finally did. So I uh, was happy to see that they were able to kind of utilize uh their skills and go ahead and kind of pick up a very uh, crucial result, uh, gotta shout out Scarlett Camberos because I remember Jenny you asked me like who I was going to be looking out for in this game and I thought Camberos had another really good game for Mexico and she's really had a good campaign for them so far in these uh, Road to Goal Cup qualifiers so uh good to see her continue um, to contribute in that aspect but three different goal scorers uh, for for Mexico in this one a missed penalty by Diana Ordoñez um, I'm sure she's going to want to look back on that and, and try to do better next time but the opportunities That this team kind of manifested out of maybe some not ideal conditions, I think kind of bodes well for them moving forward. And it solidifies their spot in the next round of the Gold Cup, which is what I absolutely wanted them to do in this one.
0: Sandra, what was your scoreline prediction for this one? Because I feel like you got it right. What did you say? I don't, you ball?
4: know what? I don't know if I had, I think I had a two, one uh, something two, like one. that. Yeah. But I
0: mean, well, still well, three goals. I, thought, I like was on the three goal thing. That's what I thought. I wasn't sure.
4: sure. <laughs> I sure love y'all. Nah, like I'm just, All right. Dub it's a dub and I'm glad they got it done.
2: All right, Lisa, you got to talk to me about Kiana Palacios because she comes in as a sub and scores two goals at the end of this match.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the the power of a game changer, right? And so often the, the starting 11 are seen as the, some of the top players and some of the best ones, but it's the finishing 11 that is what you want to close out games and to solidify things and to solidify a win. And I think we are seeing that across the international game right now, that players that can come onto the pitch and make a difference are the ones that deserve a lot of respect. And there's an advantage to some aspect of it because for a half or 60 minutes, you're sitting on the sidelines. So you are you have a different perspective of the match. You're also talking with your coaches and you're hearing their comments and working with an assistant coach to determine where are those open pockets, what's working well for the team, what's not working well. And then when you are the game changer and you're able to sub onto the pitch um, and actually finish the game, get two goals back to back. I mean, that's really important for this side. And, and I mean, you love to see it. I love when players come in off the bench and can do that.
2: Yeah, you can definitely see the spaces when you're on the bench um, and pick out who you want to see or who you want to go up against in a one-on-one, whose hands are on their knees, who's exhausted. Um, Mexico completely dominating, 24 shots, 71% possession in this one. But we have to talk about the fact that they advance, they are qualified for the – W Gold Cup group stage. Let's move on to the other game, Guatemala against Jamaica. This ends in a tie. Things got a little complicated, but good for Guatemala. Lots of questions for Jamaica, though, because they didn't send their A-side. We don't have Bunny Shaw. We don't have the Swabby sisters in this one. Um, Darian, bit of Jamaica's Football Federation's fault here, no, if they didn't qualify there?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can blame the players with this. I think they're doing the absolute best with what they're given, which, frankly, is almost nothing. I mean, there's even been a quote from Becky Spencer saying that some of the players still haven't even been paid um, from previous camps and the success that they've had, which is such a shame. Um, but they're doing the best of what they can. It's It was a 1-1 match. It was tough for Jamaica. They obviously seemed a little bit out of sorts. I know there's a lot of younger players in. Um, big learning moment, but uh, it's a shame because this could be such a great team, such a great competitive federation, but they just are not investing how they should be. And I think we need to talk about that more and keep bringing attention to it because these players deserve that. Um, But I have to say Guatemala, I think they looked good. They really did. I thought that they tested. They were taking shots from like 40 yards out. Um, Andrea Alvarez, the 10 for Guatemala, I thought that she was fantastic and really led the team and that she was playing with some audacity that I think I wasn't Ooh. expecting to see from this uh, vocab from this <laughs> Guatemalan side. Um, but you know, it, it goes to the Testament again, to the growth of the game. I love that they were able to get on the score sheet and prove that they're developing, that their federation is investing a little bit more than what Jamaica's doing, which is such a shame.
2: Ana Martinez is the one who scores for Guatemala there. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on Attacking Third. This episode was brought to you by the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Reward your passion and earn points when you stay close to the action.